morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. At the end of last week's service, I said that today's sermon would be from the book of Jonah. Well, unfortunately, I got my holiday weekends mixed up, and I will be preaching from Jonah on Labor Day weekend. So if you're disappointed this morning that you're not going to hear a story about a grown man being swallowed by a fish, I apologize, and I humbly ask you to be back here on Sunday, September 3rd. Because today we'll focus our attention on the book of Proverbs. And more broadly, I'd like us to spend some time thinking about wisdom. What exactly is wisdom? Where do we find it? How do we get it? And why do we need wisdom? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I ask that you watch over us this morning as we read from your word. Grow us in wisdom. As we're about to see, we need wisdom. And I pray that you would meet us where we are and give us the wisdom that we need, the wisdom that only you can give, a different kind of wisdom than what the world has to offer, a better kind of wisdom. I pray that this morning would just be one small brick in that building of growing us in wisdom, discernment, and all the things that that entails, uh, trust and faith and obedience and worship and love. Uh, Grow us in all these things, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I ask that you watch over us this morning. Again, as Carl said, help us remember the ultimate sacrifice of your son on the cross. As we take time tomorrow and think about the noble, honorable, selfless sacrifices that men and women have made for our country, help us remember the ultimate sacrifice of Christ as well especially the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And I pray that we would be attentive to your word. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you give us wisdom in your word, as we'll discuss. I pray that we would be faithful students of your word for our good and for your glory. Thank you for this church, this time that we have together to meet as brothers and sisters and to worship you as your children. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we get going, let's talk about the book of Proverbs as a whole. What exactly is it that we're reading? Well, a proverb is a short, memorable wisdom saying that can be both simple and profound. A proverb can be simultaneously general and specific in its application and scope. And one thing that's important to know is that a proverb is usually, though not always universally, true. We need to know this because we might be tempted to read the book of Proverbs and try to make it do too much. Now, here's what I mean by that. For example, take Proverbs chapter 10, starting in verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. 
The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, are these things often true? Yes. But are they always true? We have to say no. Sometimes the wicked flourish and the righteous suffer. Take the book of Job, for example. Sometimes God lets his people go hungry while evil people are full. Sometimes the lazy end up rich and the hardworking end up poor. Now, this does not mean that these proverbs aren't true. It also doesn't undermine the authority of God's inspired word. But it reminds us that these general principles found in the book of Proverbs require nuance. We live in a fallen world full of sin. And as we read the book of Proverbs, we must recognize that how things ought to be isn't always how they are. Now, the book of Proverbs is a whole collection of these kinds of sayings, like the ones in verses two through four. And these sayings have been assembled by God's people over a long period of time. Most of them are attributed to King Solomon of Israel, the son of King David, who may have been the wisest man of the Old Testament. And Solomon got that reputation for wisdom from the events of 1 Kings. In chapter 3 of 1 Kings, one of Solomon's very first acts as king over Israel is to ask God for wisdom. And then we see in chapter 4 that God obliges Solomon. Verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Athan the Ezrahite and Haman, Kalkal and Darda, the sons of Mahal. You guys know those people, right? Me neither. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon was the poster boy of wisdom, and he contributes mightily to the book that we study this morning. Finally, the book of Proverbs is often called wisdom literature, a category that includes the books of Psalms, Job and Ecclesiastes. And for generations, God's people have been looking to these books to gain wisdom. As it turns out, these sayings were written down for that very purpose. Look at the introduction to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, 
to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. These books are written so that we can grow in wisdom. So if that's what you're looking for, the book of Proverbs is an excellent place to start. It's chock full of warnings against folly and instructions for righteousness. Some sayings are practical and down to earth. For example, take chapter 25, verse 16. If you find food and you eat too much of it, you'll barf. And people say that the Bible isn't relevant to our modern day and age. That holds up. It's practical and true. Other Proverbs are broad and high-minded musings on life's mysteries. Like chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, for example. Many Proverbs are incredibly straightforward. Look at chapter 24, verse 27. Good thing to keep in mind when you're assembling a dresser from Ikea. Many of these Proverbs provoke deep reflection. Like chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. One verse seems to say that you shouldn't respond to a fool. The other one says you should. Which one is it? Well, that's the point. You have to think about it. You have to reflect on it. You have to chew on it. So there's something here for everyone. The wisdom of Proverbs is a gift of unspeakable value. That's why we read in chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So now that we have a basic feel for the book of Proverbs, let's apply it back onto our big questions about wisdom. So question number one about wisdom. What is it? If you think about it, defining wisdom Wisdom is really pretty hard. A few definitions might be the capacity to judge rightly in matters of life and conduct. It's pretty good. Another, the ability to cope. Not so good, in my opinion. A third, experiential knowledge. That's all right. A fourth is intellectual activity. It's a little bit narrow, if you ask me. A fifth could be the quest for self-understanding and mastery of the world. J.I. Packer writes, 
Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So Packer's saying that wisdom is knowing what's important and knowing how to get it. There's some truth there. Now, I think those might all be helpful in their own way, but the definition I kept coming back to in preparing this sermon is this. Wisdom is living rightly as God's creatures in God's world. Wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's more than common sense. It's more than street smarts. It's more than discovering and executing what works. Wisdom is living rightly as God's creatures in God's world. Wisdom is both something that you know and something that you do. It's a way of thinking and it's a way of being. But now let's move to question number two. Where can we find wisdom? Part of the reason we're defining wisdom the way we are, living rightly as God's creatures in God's world, is because wisdom starts with God. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, right after the introduction that we read a few minutes ago. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. True wisdom begins with a sound relationship with and a sound understanding of God. We can't properly discern who we are if we don't know who the God who created us is. And we can't properly discern the world we live in if we don't know the God who created it. Now, that's not to say that someone who doesn't worship God has no wisdom to offer. We can learn a lot from non-believers about all kinds of things. But it does mean that they can't be called thoroughly wise by biblical standards. That's why Trimper Longman writes, Wisdom is not simply a matter of learning certain principles of life And applying them mechanistically. Wisdom begins with a relationship with God. That this relationship is characterized by fear means that the sages understand their place in the universe. After all, people are totally dependent on the Lord who created them and sustains them. The sages understood this and therefore trembled in the presence of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So to find wisdom, we start with God. But we can look other places, too. For example, we could look at creation itself. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. I've been doing this quite a bit recently around the foundation of my house. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. 
He says that God's invisible attributes can be seen in the things that have been made. If you want to be wise, pay attention to the world around you. The world God made. Because creation bears God's autograph. And we can learn a great deal about him. And learn a great deal about everything else. By examining it closely. Whether it's something as big as Mount Everest. Or as tiny as an ant. We can gain wisdom by looking at God's world. And then to find wisdom we can look to tradition. Proverbs 16 verse 31 tells us that gray hair is a crown of wisdom. So one way to grow in wisdom is to look to those who came before us. We can seek the examples of Christians from the past as we determine how to follow Jesus now. You can look to believers who are older than you. There really is some wisdom that only comes with time. So we have an idea of what wisdom is. We have some ideas about where we can find it. But let's get more targeted with question number three. How do we get wisdom? Well, the good news is that God is a generous giver of wisdom. One of the most well-known passages in the book of Proverbs comes in chapter eight, where wisdom is personified is described as this woman calling out in the street, begging people to come learn from her. Verse 4, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. We read something similar in the book of James, often called the Proverbs of the New Testament, and for good reason. Chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that Believers, as bearers of the Spirit, have a wisdom that differs from the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of rulers and powers and authorities that are all passing away. Christians have a spiritual wisdom that God has given us. So if you want to grow in wisdom, you can start by simply asking God to give it to you. He is not greedy. He is not withholding. He's generous. We can also get wisdom through living together in community. If you ever study the book of Acts, you see right off the bat that the believers spent time together. A lot of it. They held everything in common. And when difficult decisions needed to be made, or problems needed to be addressed, decisions and problems that required wisdom, the believers would gather together to talk and pray through it. Chapter 15 is a great example. 
If you want to grow in wisdom, surround yourself with wise brothers and sisters in Christ. Look to wise leaders in your church. Live in Christian community rather than trying to figure everything out on your own. There's a reason our church has multiple elders instead of just one person calling all the shots. Because there's more wisdom often in a group than there is with one person. That's why many of the women in our church are currently looking to each other for wisdom. Intentionally building relationships to teach each other and learn from each other. Wisdom is often seen in community. And of course, we can get wisdom through God's word. Look at Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. We said earlier that we can learn a great deal about God by looking at the world that he has made. It's often called general revelation. But we learn the most about God by looking to the word that he has written. Often called special revelation. If you want to get wisdom, open up your Bible. But now question number four. Why do we need wisdom? Well, most obviously, we need wisdom because God commands us to be wise. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God's people have always needed wisdom and have always been commanded to pursue it. It's nothing new for us to say that wisdom is both a gift that God gives and a virtue that we cultivate. Wisdom is not limited to a select few of spiritual elites. It's a privilege and responsibility for all of God's people. To a similar point from Ephesians 5, our wisdom, or lack thereof, can help or hurt our public witness for the gospel. It can help or hurt the health of our church. Going back to James, chapter 3, verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Would non-believers be attracted to a community marked by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, falseness, disorder, and vile practices? Probably not. Likewise, is that the kind of atmosphere where believers can grow in holiness for God's glory? Absolutely not. May we seek to be people of wisdom and our church a place of wisdom for the sake of non-believers around us and for the sake of believers within these walls. And on top of that, Christians will find ourselves facing unique challenges in the future. And we will need wisdom. Scientific and technological developments present us with ethical, theological, and philosophical conundrums that believers before us haven't had to face. In addition, we live in a post-Christian society. We believers can't assume that the surrounding world agrees with us on even the most seemingly basic truths about our world. We can't just go along to get along. Christians and churches are already facing things that can't be solved with a quick reference to a Bible verse. We will need wisdom to face these situations faithfully. As Paul says in Romans 12, too, we will need renewed minds to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect in a world that isn't always good, acceptable and perfect. So to recap where we've been, what is wisdom? It's living rightly as God's creatures in God's world. Where can we find wisdom? It starts with God, but we can also look at creation and look at godly people around us. How do we get it? We ask God for wisdom and prayer. We see it lived out in Christian community and we read it in God's word. Places like the book of Proverbs, just to name one. And why do we need wisdom? Because God commands it. Because it can help or harm our church's reputation with outsiders and our church's inward health. And because living faithfully in a fallen world isn't getting any easier. Now, I hope I've persuaded you about the value of wisdom. But I also have to give you a word of warning as well. As good as wisdom is. It isn't enough on its own. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon, the wisest man of the Old Testament, the composer and collector of thousands of proverbs, falls into sin. And after Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel is divided. Chaos ensues for generations, and it leads to exile. It turns out that for all his wisdom, Solomon's legacy isn't easy to discern. Is Solomon a hero of the faith? Is he a cautionary tale? Or is he both? Whatever we conclude, the point remains. That as great as wisdom is, it isn't enough on its own. 
Therefore, it would be unwise for a Christian preacher to talk about wisdom without talking about Jesus. That would be almost as unwise as my kids continuing to be very loud in the front row. In his adult life, we see Jesus living out and teaching wisdom with a kind of authority that no one had ever seen before. One of the consistent themes of the book of Proverbs is paths. And there are usually two of them. There's the path or the way of wisdom. And there's the path or the way of folly. God's people have to choose which path we will take. Jesus speaks in similar terms in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus himself is the fork in the road. How you respond to him determines if you are wise or a fool. And if we respond wrongly to him, we get something worse than the temporal consequences of being a fool. We get something worse than a tummy ache if we're unwise and eat too much honey. If we respond wrongly to Jesus, we get the eternal consequences of sin. But Jesus is also more than just a wisdom teacher. He's the embodiment of God's wisdom. That's why the Gospel of John calls Jesus the Word which was common lingo for wisdom in the Greco-Roman world. That's why Paul calls him the wisdom and power of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24. Now Paul acknowledges that it may sound silly to say that a man who got crucified is the wisdom and power of God. But God's wisdom is greater than ours. And the crucified and resurrected Jesus is the very embodiment of it. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the Old Testament, we might add, in light of the New Testament, that the knowledge of Jesus is the end goal of wisdom. Any other path, any other way, is a dead end. So if you want to grow in wisdom, Look at places like Proverbs. It's a great place to start. But don't stop there. Keep reading. Because eventually you'll come across the Gospels. You'll come across the New Testament. All written in response to the person and work of Jesus. Look to him. The wisdom and power of God. For your own wisdom even if it seems like folly to the world around you. Because any wisdom apart from Jesus, as good as it might be, it won't save you. We must look to Jesus, the one greater than Solomon. Because in the end, it's through him and him alone that we can learn to live rightly as God's creatures in God's world. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for your son, Jesus.
the wisdom and power of God. Lord, I pray that we would look to you for the wisdom that only you can provide. I pray that our wisdom would begin with fear of you, reverence and awe and humility before you. But I also pray that our wisdom would lead us to your son, Jesus. Remind us that wisdom in and of itself is not the end. We don't read your word just so we can get a little smarter or get a little better at navigating a complicated world. Wisdom leads us to the cross. Wisdom leads us to falling on our knees before the cross and trusting your son with the weight of our sin, a weight that only he could bear and live to tell about it. Lord, I pray that we would grow in wisdom to the point of recognizing our own insufficiency, that that would draw us to the cross, that that would draw us to faith and worship and obedience of your son, Jesus. And thank you that your wisdom trounces the wisdom of the world. There are so many self-proclaimed gurus and self-helpers out there who surely mean well and surely have some good things to say. But Lord, remind us that you are the fount and the source of wisdom above and before anything and anyone else. And your wisdom culminates in your son, Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. Lord, help us be wise until you return. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.